Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dave Clay. Bearing fruit. Who would not want to bear fruit? Uh, fruit, <laughs> fruit is associated with productivity. Fruit is associated with blessing. Fruit is associated with resource. Fruit is associated with very primary, very basic sort of needs. We call them drives, hunger, thirst, sleep. Fruit speaks specifically, no doubt, to at least the hunger portion. And even though Jesus says, man does not live by, or the Bible says, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Fruit, fruit is the demonstration of just that, that you are one with God, and not only one with God in, I guess, thought, intent, Motive, oh, it's a good idea. But one with God in heart. And that includes a bit of thinking, or at least commitment uh, with that out of, oh, it's a good idea. Some motive. But the way that you go about bearing fruit probably could speak as much to the fruit as much to the fruit that is born. Bore? That's the right word. Bore. But it's also born. In context of today's podcast. And therein, whether or not it's going to be blessed of the Lord. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And bore, not born, but bore, B-O-R-E, but it is to the end of born, bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And (laughs) should there be any sort of um, missing connection? May I make it (laughs) so obvious? The fruit that certainly Eve was bearing, bore, or was born, was a child. And not that That necessarily is any greater than any other fruit, whether you measure that in terms of food or anything that God has created. And he created it all, and he brought it all out of the dust of the earth, beginning with Adam, or at least the Hebrew accounting of it all, began with Adam. And with that, then the notion of God bringing forth... A child is not a strange one. Oh, the immaculate conception of Mary and Jesus. It is Jesus the Christ, but it isn't any different in the sense that even as Jesus was of God, his father, <laughs> the Lord is the father of us all. And in that same sort of even manner or way, the Bible captures it. Eve has gotten a man from the Lord. And Mary received the impartation of that same seed to bearing fruit from God. And though Adam knew Eve, and you could make the case that that was portion or part of the corruption, 
And even as God breathed life into Adam and then Eve out of Adam, out of once more dirt, it's kind of again undeniable that God has chosen to continue to bless the world. <laughs> Go therefore out and populate. Go therefore out and bear fruit. Go therefore out and not only meet the primary drives again of hunger, thirst, sleep, but the most primary of all drives, <laughs> reproduction. And though that seems a little, I don't know if the word's tawdry, <laughs> when you think of it, I, earthy, essential. Uh, in Galatians 5. We don't want it to be earthly, sensual, and devilish. We want it to though, appreciate, we want to appreciate the idea that though there is spiritual fruit, there is also therein going to be material fruit. And it's biology. And God created it too. And so there's nothing wrong with that except that you don't mess with how you make it or create it, how you bear it. And though there really probably isn't any way you can disconnect God from that, the source of all life, and his breath, the Holy Spirit, which is of life, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, but love is, in all measures, life, And so, again, to the bearing of fruit, the contrast would be anything that you do in corruption, out of corruption, is going to result in death. But it all comes from God. And even as much, when Genesis 4.1 says, King James, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve knew full well it wasn't anything of her and Adam. It was of God. But should that then have any sort of significance in terms of, once again, not only love and life, but our podcast today, death that might come from such corruption, it would have to be that somehow in the bearing of fruit, something Not something, we know exactly what happened. The devil not only got into Adam and Eve, but didn't take long to get into the fruit that Adam and Eve bore. And in that born of woman, but also of God, and in that the difference between Jesus and Adam, or Jesus and certainly Cain and Abel, the notion of it is, that Jesus was pure all the way through and resisted the greatest of all temptations to corruption to let that, the way that God has chosen for us to bear fruit in a material dimension, to supersede or take precedence over that which is truly the preservation not of the flesh but of the Holy Spirit. And though God brings life to matter, earth, material dimension. It is the Spirit of God that is preserved eternally, but not because of even us there in that. But we are because we understand. That's what it's all about. Everything else is ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But it is not of us to disregard the breath of life, nor is it unto us to make the ultimate judgment and decision of who lives and who dies.
And it proceeds forward with verse 2 in Scripture, that is. And she again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, you could argue and some might insert, well, there you go. She didn't say, of the Lord. And maybe there is some truth to that. I don't know enough to know whether there is or isn't. I do know enough to at least be respectful to acknowledge possibly, but I'm still not sure. That was really omitted as much as it just didn't need to be stated. But we'll go ahead and acknowledge it. Because Abel really was kind of even better than his brother. So in some ways, that in and of itself kind of implicitly discounts the notion that that Abel wasn't of the Lord. And in a moment, we'll see even further evidence that it was really that which is born of the Lord, Cain, <laughs> that may have actually been the one, at least in personification, that could not resist the temptation to kill his brother. Now, it probably is also worth stating, while well, we're seemingly at this kind of particular moment in this sort of territory, <laughs> that Satan, the devil, Lucifer, was created and therein fell from grace. And with that then, there is then Adam. And with that then, though Adam was not the Christ, there is Jesus. And if there is any sibling rivalry to be found in even that, I am sure that some of the intentions of the devil, albeit much more significant and maybe higher in kind of conceptual ways, aspirational ways, virtue and character sort of ways. We would want to think them higher. Even that, think them, consider them of higher thought. Nonetheless, base, I think it had the same premise. (laughs) The devil wanted to do it his way for himself, out of himself, out of that pride narcissism that also is so commonly characteristic of all that we do know of Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the Antichrist, the pride of life, all the things that lead unto death, all those things of the Bible that would then be relatable in human dimension. Uh, It's not that the devil was necessarily human, but everything that he did as we would then of our humanity and in that that same kind of selfish dimension we would do it's really no different we do the same thing in that same spirit not the good spirit not the holy spirit but the pride of life kind of spirit it'll end in death just like it did for satan the devil And with that, that's why hell was created for him, but also why there are humans (laughs) that go there. And their spirit, as much would be human, of the human carnal nature, carnal spirit, personality, identity, that's where that goes. If it's not redeemed, if it's not in Christ Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Christ, saved. But one thing's for sure, you don't want to kill Jesus, at least not with intent. And should you have that in you and can't escape it, and maybe that's part of the Bible message. There's no one that escapes that jealousy. 
I want to be best. I want to do it through all. I want it all to be mine. I want to do it so that it's all mine. I can take the glory for it. You're not going to be able to do that, but thankfully God has provided an advocate, a mediator, so that when that happens, and once again, maybe it happens to us all, whether you have siblings or not, I don't think all competition comes from that, but I think there is a spirit of competition that goes to such the extreme that you might end sibling rivalry, actually end up killing someone else. Now there is clearly murder, and with that taking every bit, or attempting to, take every bit of life out of that person and destroy what life, as with Holy Spirit, there is in them, but in that same sort of way, Jesus went to the cross and the devil wasn't successful. Murder doesn't result in anything, hopefully, except some sort of punishment. And should there be any ultimate punishment, once again, it's hell. I don't know that those who don't commit murder in a physical dimension still don't end up killing people. You can do that by the Balaam sort of tactic or strategy. You can corrupt what is in a subtle, sly way, also what the devil did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. You can manipulate people's psychology. You can point out death and you can kind of confuse them and trick them a bit and even get to a point where you might even suggest that God isn't real and if he is real, he's looking to kill you. That's not God's intention. God is not about killing. God is not about death. God certainly isn't about murder and neither should we be, even if it comes out of such a sort of seemingly innocuous sibling rivalry. And the counseling I've done over the years, I have actually indeed met some older siblings that were still children that seemingly wanted very much to kill their baby brother or sister. And there is definitely, when you look at that, even in their innocence of childhood, a sense of evil that goes along with that. But we'll continue. Verse 3. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. I'm going to take that again at face value. Quite possibly Cain was in some ways somewhat innocent or at least innocent to the extent that he did recognize the offering needed to go to God and that what he had was definitely maybe in that same sort of way of God creation. But it didn't end there. We'll read on. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock. I was going to say first fruits, but firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. We've already kind of established that both were born of the same creative Holy Spirit force that Eve, in simplicity and her own still residual innocence, said, I've got this child of the Lord. It's not of Adam. It's of the Lord. And with that, so Cain offered up offerings of the ground. (laughs) And Abel offered up offerings of, again, the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And we're presuming this to be sheep and Shepherd, 
the notion, though, is, is that both of those were offerings in who unto? <laughs> the Lord. So, the obvious question is, okay, well, if we've discounted or dismissed the fact that one was of God, one wasn't of God, both were of God, and with that then, everything, though seemingly so at this point, is in corruption, it still hasn't been totally corrupted, and at this point, there is no blood on anyone's hands, so to speak, when it comes to love, and I've not mentioned it, but really we're talking about hate. And bitterness. And what hate and bitterness might lead to in terms of, again, not only blood, but the quite the contrary of life and love and the fruit of the Spirit being love and the fruit of the Spirit being in material representation, not only some material manifestation of love, but life itself the resource of God has given unto us. And with that then, we should probably not in any competitive way, whether it is all about sibling rivalry, maybe I should just say it this way, that seems to be for everyone the first brush. When you go to school though, jealousy really begins to manifest itself, even if you don't kill one another, kids, don't kill each other. Although, let me just remind you, probably, I don't know if there's more of that, There's a lot of that that seemingly is happening today. School shootings, gang wars. It's continuing to be corrupted because it's not being, in my opinion, corrected. And this is important because the devil is gaining some traction, at least in material aspect. And with that, he is still trying very hard through spirit Not the good spirit, the bad spirit, the son of perdition, and spiritual, demonic, if you want to call it that, devilish, sort of terms. Now we're getting back to Galatians 5. Envying and strife and every evil work, (laughs) contrary to the fruit of the spirit, he's still doing that. And though he cannot kill Christ... Obviously, because Jesus is resurrected and overcame death and gives us then in keys to the kingdom, not just the material, worldly kingdom, but in that access to heaven through him, we know better as believers and we have then, therein, settled already this with God. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm certainly not going to murder them, but I'm also not going to kill anybody by competing so much with an intention to destroy them or to win or to do it such that it's selfish, evil, devilish. <laughs> Does it come from above? It's evil, devilish, demonic spirit. But the devil's still trying to do that in this same way that he did even with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, as much they bore as much Cain was born and then Abel, it really immediately manifested itself in the worst of possible terms. As Cain's... <laughs> I forgot there. I'm going to wait until I get there. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very angry. God likes <laughs> Abel better than me. You love her better than you love me. 
she's treated better than me. I get all this. And talk about siblings now, going back to that. Well, that's not fair. You don't love me as much. Everybody's familiar with that, I'm sure. I'm hoping it didn't happen in your family, but it's happened in somebody's family and maybe in your family and hoping it didn't happen in your immediate family, but maybe extended family. Everybody's experienced this. It's still going on. Right versus left. And really... Deep down, they do want to kill each other. They'll, they'll maybe say, well, I just want to kill the ideology. I just want to eradicate and remove all the parts that I don't agree with. If they would just cooperate. But in the end, we're still killing one another. There's still wars and rumors of wars. Fathers against sons. Sons against fathers. Mothers against daughters. Daughters against mothers. Jesus told of that in your own house. It's still going on, but it's just that basic, I believe, idea. You don't make anything. You are not the source of anything. You are merely a recipient and with that, a vessel of yourself, of your flesh, of your psychology, of your humanity. Your humanity is to be part of all servant, servitude, servants. We are highest order, I think, so it's servant. We are to serve. But really, even the lesser order serves the greater. That's where, that's where fruit comes back in. Because every day, animals give their lives so that we can eat. Every, they sacrifice. Every day. The grass of the field is put into an oven and made into bread. Every day, I lose a little bit of me to help you. It's not bad. It's out of my brain. Good motive. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a bit of reciprocity. It should go both ways. I am in some dimension needful to, you have to feed me. You have to kind of take care of me. Nobody, unless somebody is, unless I'm of the priesthood. Somebody's going to take care of me. I mean, there's resource that I need, and so, you know, bivocational. You know, I do some work and more psychological sort of terms as much as the pastoral. And even within the pastoral, offerings are not bad if that's done out of the right motive. But if I give something of value and worth, the labor is, laborer is worthy of his hire. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, when you go to church and you give offerings and things are then offered through the church, that's one aspect of that. But I don't do this through church and I don't take up offerings, which is not necessarily making a case. But I just want folks to realize, even in what we do at covenants, and people sometimes get upset. Well, they're just really after the money. No, we just have to stay alive. We have to do things. We try not to make it about the money in the way of trying to fleece people or taking advantage of people or stealing from people. I don't think we'll get to it in this podcast. But I do want to go to 1 Samuel and talk about Samuel and Eli and Eli's sons and they're fleecing the sheep. But we won't get there today. Maybe next podcast. But that's not what it's about. But lest I get caught up in all that, to regress too much. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no, not respect. Verse 5. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, 
Why art thou angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? Now, it's a good question. (laughs) And the Bible, when Jesus speaks, he certainly teaches. But much of his teaching begins with a question, much like this. And I think it prepares, hopefully, the one who is asked the question, it gives them a chance to prepare themselves, not only in defense, but it opens their mind a bit. Well, here's a question. I'm not going to tell you. I want to ask you. Well, why do you do that? Where's that coming from? What's the motive in that? Why are you so upset? I really liked what Abel did. Yeah, what you did, Cain, I did not respect it. Maybe it wasn't as much. I'm sure there was a certain degree of respect that was implicit in that. And then we're kind of left with, well, what was Cain's motive? It's like, um, when does it come to the place that Judas, I know when it comes literally, it's the Last Supper. He comes to a point, though, <laughs> Jesus looking at him and said, Go and do what you have to do. And in that same sort of way, his countenance fell. I don't want to believe that it could happen to any of us, but there's part of me that does believe it could. I don't know that Judas was redeemed or repented or was penitent. And then in that being penitent, repented, and was restored, I don't know. Um, He didn't directly kill Christ, but he was about as close to it. He was a Balaam of that Balaam spirit uh, and was obviously easily swayed. Somebody had to do it. I realized that he was the one picked or chosen. It could have been any of the others, but it was him. We could, again, deep dive into all of that and surely make good cases for and against any of those kind of questions. But the only one that really knows is God. And when he asked the question, (laughs) I want to pay attention. Because he's probably trying to do something in the way himself of offering redemption, correction. I am not always wise enough to do that in the counseling context. I should. (laughs) I do, I think, enough of the time. I try to always establish context, kind of set it up so the question has relevance identify the situation that we're going to use as an example or maybe the situation the person brings in that is the example what they're engrossed in what their attention is directed toward what's brought them in and then I should ask just a basic question why? because I can't read people's hearts I think the Holy Spirit gives me a bit of intuition and discernment from within me he can read people's hearts God reads people's hearts. But I don't know that God was condemning Cain at this particular moment or point. I think he was just asking the obvious question. Why art thou angry and why is thy countenance fallen? And I want to go a little further with that if I could. If your countenance is fallen, you've let your anger go on too long. (laughs) It's not the anger. Angry is definitely something to be aware of and should raise some flag. Uh, We need to attend to this and then do it. (laughs) Ask God the questions rather than have God come and ask you questions. Ask God the questions. Allow the Holy Spirit, Jesus, to converse with you in the Holy Spirit. Speak to you. 
uh, allow in that sanctification as with living word and word to kind of begin to put proper context on it and begin to then do his work of cleansing, piercing, dividing asunder of joint marrow, soul, and spirit, the discerner of the heart, Hebrews 4, the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to, he desires to, it's all in you too. You just have to allow it to happen. But if your countenance is starting to fall, or has started to fall, and you start to get that look on your face, and maybe it's in your eyes, that's probably not a good sign. You've let it go on too long. Verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Okay, Cain, here's a choice. You don't even know it yet, Cain. But you're about to kill Abel. (laughs) I gave it away. Sorry, could not resist. Uh, I need to to kind of add proper context so that we get to the moment. Hope it's not a uh, scene stealer or whatever they call that. Give away the end of it all. But... God knows. He already knows. This is going nowhere, Cain. And with that, I think, left to us maybe more so than even Cain, although if we had time, I could read the fullness of this chapter in Genesis where God does reveal to him as Cain finally comes to the revelation. Oh, I got nowhere to go now that this has all happened. Nobody's going to want to hang out with me. Nobody's going to want to be with me. And now I am truly left to doing it all of my own. (laughs) So if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. That is certainly not the glory of God manifest upon you. Laying down your life as with Christ for another is the glory of God. That's what Jesus said. No greater love, no greater life than to lay down your life for another. It's okay because you don't die. It's okay if God calls you to. Now, I'm not telling you. I can't tell you to do that. I can say, (laughs) and most of the things I deal with on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't come to that level of murder. It's the Balaam stuff. It's the slow burn stuff. And those questions that God asks, those questions you should be asking, those questions that you should ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that you should go to the Word of God, and then with that in the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the living Word, alive within you to get the answers before you do something, even if it's slow burn, that's going to corrupt someone, that's going to take it to a point of such contention that there's so much anger and that it's not sanctified anger or you're not allowing the anger that is in you, righteous indignation, to be rightly sanctified by the word of God. Shoo me your glory, Moses asked. Because why? Because Moses committed the same sort of, I guess, error. It is a sin and it was born of some iniquity. Kept him out of the promised land. He eventually crucified the Christ, which was needful. He did by hitting the rock, which was again... (laughs) The water came out. Water, thirst, primary drive. They needed that. And Moses couldn't enter the promised land, at least not in his material dimension. I do believe that even as Christ came and there was then that atonement for sin, the final atonement in Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, I know Moses is covered. I know he was a man after God's own heart. I know 
Moses was just as caught off guard when he came off the mountain and they were partying. He was told, God told him, Moses, I'm going to give you the birthright. I'm going to go ahead and crucify these people. That's another way God kind of asked that question. We know that that's not true, at least not to the extent or degree that that was not the plan. The plan was for Moses, to, I think, to come to a realization before he came off the mountain and with that, had the Levites destroy approximately somewhere near a third of the people who were in debauchery. <laughs> Aaron was one of them. Melted all the gold into a calf and was worshiping in it, worshiping it, and had believed that Moses was gone. He had met his demise and wasn't coming off the mountain. And what were they going to do? Yeah, they were going to resort back to trying to do it their way. That's the whole problem with the story. Cain tried to do it out of himself or tried to steal that from God by inserting himself. Now, we could argue, well, taking care of sheep is a lot of work and certainly there's a lot of labor that goes into it, but it was about the sheep and the sheep was a direct sort of correlation to, look, God gave me a son. Look, God gave me a child. God gave me a sheep. (laughs) It's got that same dimension. And to some extent, though, I have nothing against agriculture or that society. I think it is great. It's pastoral. It's fantastic. It's better than going around killing a bunch of animals. I believe that. And, And again, probably... Another one of those rabbit trails, can't go down today, but that's probably where the sacrifices came from, or at least the notion that the Hebrew people had to pass through all of this killing of animals. It's just bloodletting. It should never have been. I don't think God intentioned it. It's out of the wrong motive. It's not that things don't die. They do. It's just the natural order of things, but we don't need to go around killing things. That's the unnatural. That's the competitive. We don't have to fight against nature. God has already subdued nature. We don't have to go around beating things up and killing things. We don't have to destroy nature. We don't have to have so much excess to satisfy not just the bodily needs, but the pride, (laughs) the psychological fear of inadequacy or the reality of our inadequacy and then the fear that goes along with it to try to compensate for that by extracting that from others. It's like the taskmasters and the Hebrew people, Moses, while they were still in Egypt. It wasn't enough that they were doing all this work for the Egyptians, which was probably kind of compensation. It wasn't fair, maybe, You know, they went into Egypt. Egypt, through Joseph and Pharaoh, provided a way for them to survive. They returned that in a reciprocal, transactional sort of way. I believe that was also all of God. But they weren't, they were neurotic. (laughs) It wasn't enough. You gotta do more, and you gotta bow your knee. You gotta kiss the earth. You gotta kiss my feet. I mean, we've all been there. Again, that comes out of that same spirit. not only sibling rivalry, but competition taken to an extreme. And it results in death. And with that then, I think God was pointing that out to Cain. If you do well, if you do it out of the resource I've given, the provision I've given, as if I could speak for God, and the way that I've chosen to do it, 
it'll be fine. Things will still die. But Eve, don't be afraid of death. Because you will. The devil tricked you. You will live forever. <laughs> your flesh won't. Your identity won't. Your psychology won't. <laughs> but good news. You don't have to put up with all of this stuff that goes with the flesh, the identity, the psychology, the struggle, the material dimension, the awareness to keep it in check or allow the Holy Spirit. Your intention would be to, again, allow God to do what he wants to do. He doesn't want to kill you. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to succeed materially. But he wants you more so to realize it's the same spirit that provides the material provision or at least keeps your human dimension of kill or be killed, Darwinian, that kind of thinking, Darwin. That survival of the fittest. I'm better than, oh God, you can't bless my neighbor more than me. I'm keeping track of all this. I'm judging this. They're better than me. You think they're better than me? Oh, I can't stand it. Until finally you let the anger, God, I'm trying so hard and it's not working, to turn to bitterness so that it comes over you. Maybe that's what happened to Judas. Maybe he just was jealous of all the disciples. Maybe he was still so transactional, I would say immature, transactional, reciprocal. You have to get to an age of accountability and understanding of that. God works us through that. Hopefully, again, with good parental covering. It wasn't that Jesus didn't try. It wasn't that the, the other disciples, they were not much better. But nobody had murder on their heart except supposing Judas. And how do we know that? Because even though he didn't kill Jesus, he was as much a part of that. And maybe just, again, highlights the obviousness of it. We all are guilty of that. It could have been any of the others. Peter was certainly willing to kill somebody for the sake of Jesus. But I don't think that. We talked about that in a previous podcast not too long ago. I don't know that that motive was entirely pure. I think it was because Peter... He's going to use Jesus as a way to get what he wanted. Oh, it's okay, though, because I'm lining up with you, Jesus, but this is my way. That's the problem. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. It's not only sin, but it's the iniquity that's in you that leads to the sin, the material manifestation of not bearing fruit, but stealing it to kill something that is alive. That is not good. I don't think. That's not honorable before God. You can say, it's yours, God. I'm going to give it to you. And again, I don't have anything against crops, <laughs> planting seeds. Uh, I don't even think that there's anything wrong with saying, well, Adam was the seed for Cain out of Eve. But we just have to realize you get into that way of thinking <laughs> and then you move away from the true spirit and then the initial manifestation in material terms of God's divinity in flesh, it has to be that way out of the Holy Spirit first. God brings forth life, period. <laughs> period. Period. Don't insert yourself either in the creating of it or the taking of it. But certainly don't take it. <laughs> If you're still a little corrupt, or you still got some maturing to do along the way so you could see it the right way, don't in a moment allow it to come to such a point of critical mass that you actually raise up arms against someone. And under thee shall be his desire, and that shall rule over him. 
And why would then Abel rule over Cain? <laughs> why would that trigger Cain so much? Because of all these things we said. But why would the meek inherit the earth? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Blessed are the meek. Because that's the way that it works. Turn the other cheek. Don't let even... I, and I, I'm not against competition. I have to keep saying that because I just want it to be clear. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't think competition in itself is bad. I think it's what you want to do with the competition. It makes us better. Iron sharpens iron. That's a proverb. But just don't let it get to the place where it's got all this psychology, the superiority. I'm better than you, and if I can't be, I'm going to kill you. Or let it get to a place where whatever that iniquity would be in our humanity, murder, let's keep it in check. And Abel had already demonstrated that. He was tending the sheep. Peter was told that. Peter, feed my sheep. Because he needed to be reminded. Don't kill them. Do more than that. Feed them. And if it should kill you, Peter, I think it was last podcast, you can go back and listen to it. If it should kill you, Peter, that's okay. Because you're really not going to die. The devil just told Eve that in the wrong sort of way. He tricked Eve. I'm going to die. That's all she heard. She didn't hear anything else. Cain. And unto thee shall be his desire, which is not a bad one. He's not going to kill things. He's going, unless he has to, or the natural order of things. He's going to live at peace with his brother and the sheep. There's no murder there. Don't kill people. Don't let it get that point. And thou shalt rule over him. And with that then, this Abel will over Cain? I think so, and that's what I'm trying to present. But it may not be in quite the same way that our flesh would want it to or think it should. It's not superiority. It's not survival of the fittest. It's not kill or be killed. It's not that motive. Abel did rule over Cain, but he did it out of being the righteous sacrifice. And that was the respect God had. Because if there's anything between these two, and this particular, throughout the whole Bible, you'll see it again and again and again. The Christ crucified. It's just that God already knew that Abel was going to die for the most righteous of causes. And that is to establish the fact in material terms. And in Genesis, we were still preparing. Even for Moses in the Old Testament, they were still preparing. But when Jesus comes, and then we see the resurrection of Christ, and we see the power of love to overcome evil, and we see God use that in such a way as to bring testimony to the world... And for the sake of those that might receive it, having a heart changed, that they would come to Jesus. For those that just need help. Again, that servant's heart. That was what made that righteous. That's what made Cain's sacrifice, Abel, excuse me, his sacrifice more respectful or worthy before God. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, which obviously did not satisfy the iniquity 
that was about to manifest itself, had already manifested itself, was about to come to fruition, but not good fruit. Bad fruit, devil fruit, crucifixion of Christ. As Cain crucifies Abel, kills Abel. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? Again, another one of those questions. And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And though Cain might have been wising up a bit or may have just realized he had no answer to that question and decided to ask a question as an answer, it didn't justify any of the things he had done. It won't justify any of those things we might do to harm another. Even the thoughts, we need to stop them there. We need to stop that in the sense that those thoughts bear witness that the spirit, not the good one, of the devil, is unfortunately gaining some traction. Our anger is turning to bitterness, and our bitterness is creating a wall or walling us off, a hardness of heart that doesn't allow us to have any compassion for our brother, Apostle Paul. But for, in that sort of sense, that hardening of the heart, the searing of the conscience, that's where murder comes from. Sociopathy. I've got no relatability to this person. They're not a person anymore. They're an object at my disposal for my gratification and with that self-imposed glorification. And he said, why hast thou done, or what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee its strength. A fugitive and a wanderer shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face I be hidden. And I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. And it shall come to pass that any one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And I did get a chance to go further into this. I wasn't sure I was going to. I took the chance to do it. But when you do that, going back to Judas, I don't know that you can't be forgiven I don't know that murderers can't be forgiven. Again, there's some that would say, no, you can't. But I don't know that Cain was really capable of saying, I'm sorry. Why? Because he didn't say, I'm sorry. He just pointed out, God, you've cursed me. And God did say that. And now art thou cursed from the earth, verse 11, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee its strength. A fugitive and a wanderer shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Okay, so he had to really mean it. He probably had to really understand 
the power of what he had done, how it went against God. He had to understand, I'm sure, in flesh terms. In the same way we do. What we've done, but I'd like to believe that everybody has a chance to come to Jesus, even if you crucify Christ. Even if you're part of the crucifixion of Christ, which I'm also inclined to believe we all are. Maybe not so directly, again, out of an awareness of that or a want or desire, but we just need to admit it. It's in us to kill. And not only the Christ, but one another. And if we don't come to Jesus and accept that all of us have in our humanity been part of what the devil has used to, in his estimation, his best shot at destroying Jesus, we're going to be guilty of that. But that's why we have a chance to come to Jesus. That's why when you come to see a pastor, a priest, whatever your denomination, your faith would be, and I'm even okay with accepting you may not be yet to the point of Jesus. I pray that you continue your journey to get to Jesus because that's the point of salvation. But you still may be along the way. I'm just glad that somebody looks at you and says, don't kill them. Don't murder. Because if you kill somebody, even if it would be an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which is sort of a misapproximation. I know that there's a bit of sanctioning of that or a lot of that. Directly, it's sanctioned in Old Testament terms. But I don't know that God did that out of the supreme motive. I think he did that because if he had not done that, we'd all gone to hell. And then God would have been guilty, possibly, of killing us. God's not that way. But we don't want to get caught up in those kind of thoughts, or at least as we're coming to in our humanity, humankind, and awareness. That's not probably a good thing to do. Let's not mistake in that as, oh, that's justification. No, it's not. It's immaturity. You've moved a little further along, but don't do that. Don't buy into that because that's just given into the devil. And with that, just like with the Apostle Paul and the searing of the conscience, the hardness of the heart, the further you go in that, the more you get to be the son of perdition. And it's not just an act, impulse, where you've lost your mind and then you do this. It mostly is then by choice. You continue to justify it. But it's never right to respond in like measure or kind. That's the advice that pastors should give. That's the advice that priests should give. That's the advice that any leader should give should they be at least anywhere close to the path that leads to Jesus. And certainly if they profess themselves as a Christian, you should not be doing that. Yes, I believe in righteous indignation, but I don't think it works the best to begin with, oh, well, this is just righteous indignation and I've got a right to do it. Or they're evil. I think we need to minister first. And I think if we minister to the Lord, then people change. And if they don't change, then I think it is always as best. We couldn't leave it to God. Not saying there aren't extenuating, again, circumstances where you lose your mind or in that threat 
fight or flight mode. You're just not able to bring any control to you. Maybe you've not come to Jesus yet or in the Holy Spirit as he's there. You've grieved him such. You're not beyond salvation, but you've put big walls up. And with that, you've hardened your heart. And with that, you're not being convicted at any moment, at least sufficient, so that when that moment comes, you don't raise up arms. But I don't know that I'm a pacifist. But I am a believer in Christ and turning the other cheek. And though I would not want to be a hypocrite, because as surely as I say I would never do that, I'm just as guilty as Peter. At least when Jesus said, feed my sheep, and he says, you know I will. Jesus, and Jesus said, come on, Peter. Get real. You weren't going to feed the sheep. You were going to kill them. And... That allowed Jesus, with proper context, I mentioned that earlier in today's podcast, Jesus to tell him, show him, in this situation you're in right now, Peter, if you don't get this message, when they, when you stretch forth your hands, <laughs> they take you to your demise, what we know is going to be ultimately, they're going to kill you for the sake of me. You can't be pulling your sword out and cutting off the ear of Malchus. It'll be seven times worse for you because it will just reveal that when it came to the moment, when you had to do what was most difficult to do for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of me, you couldn't do it. Now again, I don't want to say anybody would have to get to that point. I don't want to say that I would never think it right. Don't want to, don't think it's right for me to say That if you feel or you believe in that moment that that's the right thing to do, only God knows your heart and your motive and your intention, and I can't judge it. But God will. And it'll eat you from the inside out. And that's what's happened to the devil. As with ashes from within, he's destroyed. Because what might have been even in some ways, a misapproximation, the devil never repented. The devil never said he was sorry. The devil never confessed his sin in a way that allowed God to say, well, I think you've got the lesson. I think you've learned it. I don't want to punish you. I'm just trying to point out the consequences. You're going to see them as punishment until you understand that they're really just guidance. But if you continue to be angry, and your countenance falls, continues to fall, and you turn to embitterment, and then you think the world is against you, and if they're going to catch you, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, if they catch you, they're going to do the same thing to you, you're going to be in your own torment in hell, and then when you pass on, (laughs) you finally do either natural causes, or somebody gets to you, you're going to go to hell. Why? Because that's the only spirit that you have. You've grieved the Holy Spirit to the point you don't got anything else. You have to go there because there's no place else for you to go. It's too late then. What is of the Holy Spirit has he's already been grieved or gone or taken from you in that moment. We went home to be with the Lord. God has reclaimed his spirit. You'll be left with nothing but what you've created. Don't do that. Most of the stuff you're going to have to contend with will not require you to murder somebody or kill somebody. But if you can't do it in the lesser, 
just saying you're forgiven. Or even if they don't ask, ask. Turn the other cheek. If you don't, can't do that, then you're not going to be able to do it in the greater measure. And I don't think that's bad advice. I think it's good advice no matter what ails you. I think it's good advice no matter wisdom. Whatever your situation is, if you can't get there first, then we're just going to try to just restrain you. (laughs) And I can do some of that. The Word of God can sanctify you and restrain for a while. But you're going to bust out of those restraints. Just like the devil. He thought, well, you can't hold me down, God. You can't keep me from doing this stuff. Oh, yeah, you can. But it's not through murder. Abel did not dominate Cain. Cain thought he won until he found out he didn't. Because you don't ever win when you do that. Killing somebody is never a win. Because it will end up in you killing yourself. God doesn't kill you. You grieve the very spirit of life. You give up the love of God, the fruit of the spirit, and you fall into such a state of apostasy that you can't come back. God doesn't deny you that. You have lost your sense in a human dimension of salvation, of what salvation is about. You're so hardened of heart, you have no feelings left. You're a machine. A killing machine, but a machine. And that's not what we're called to. And for the sake of making sure we don't get there, either individually or as a society, we have to be called out on such things as these. And that's what we do with covenants. We try to, not in a bad way, call you out. Hopefully, as I've tried to lay it out, or the Holy Spirit's given it to me in our conversation today, it's the same kind of dimension. I don't want to judge you, and I don't want to condemn you. I just want to point out, that's probably not going to work. How's that working for you? Should you be okay with that? (laughs) And should you want us to lead with the New Testament so that we could better understand the remedy to the Old Testament. <laughs> and that's unfortunate. We read the Old Testament first, but it's the same thing. We just have to, God has to get our awareness. Those are all the questions so that we can then be rightly open to at least giving consideration to the answer. But we do want to lead in advice and guidance sort of ways with the New Testament and Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to direct our steps Give us a call at Covenants. That's what we're going to do. 304-528-9220. You can visit us at covenantsonline.com. Covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com is our email address. And you can catch us at Covenants on Facebook. And surely as I'm Dave Clay, you can come back for the next podcast. And as much as my intentions would mean anything... The next podcast will be next week. (laughs) We do them weekly. But until then, God bless you. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next opportunity to talk. Thanks.